Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Welcome back to the Relatable Voice podcast. Today, the RV is headed to Ostia, Italy, to speak with Dino Carella. Dino is a coach and consultant after being a corporate leader for 30 years. He also is the author of the book, The Way of the Wind, which is out now. So, Dino, benvenuto. No, benvenuto. Benvenuto. <laughs> Grazie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, of course. It's a pleasure to have you here on the RV. You spent seven years in the UK. Correct, yes. I have to know, being married to an Italian man myself, was it difficult to adjust? Yes, it was. Because when I, when I, went, back there, when I went there for the first time, I really didn't speak much uh, English. So I had headaches <laughs> every, every day because I was trying really making an effort to understand and making myself understood. And so initially that was pretty difficult especially because you're alone and you don't know anybody. And, and so you, you're, that's uh, quite a big uh, transition from mm-hmm. where, where you live, you know, your family, your friends, all the things that you know about. So, yeah, that, definitely that was a, a difficult time. But um, I, I, I spent quite a, a few years there and... Um, you know, now is my my home. It's my second home. Anytime I go back to the UK, I feel like I'm at home. And what about the food? <laughs> How <laughs> did you miss Italian food? I have, I have to I have to say I'm pretty easy. I'm pretty easy with uh, with tasting. You know, all different sort of cuisine and everything. So I wasn't suffering that much. Although I have to say, I cook. And so at home, I used to cook, <laughs> you know, like a minestrone or uh, <laughs> pasta e fagioli, you know, the beans, <laughs> beans uh, soup and that kind of stuff. So I really didn't miss uh, Italian food that much. Okay. So I don't know if I would survive without <laughs> Italian food. And what made you decide to move to the UK? Because I had this dream, I wanted to be a musician. And so since I was very young, I was a, a fan of the Genesis, you know, the rock band, the Genesis. And I loved all the band, that, you know, the Pink Floyd, the Genesis, and later on the U2, the police. So I was crazy about those guys. And, you know, and I was uh, playing music. So that, that was the inevitable decision for me and the band to, to say, you know, we just have to try. We have to go to London. So let's go there and see whether we can do something with our music in there. So that's that's why. Yeah, those times were really great. I remember Phil Collins. Oh, my God. So good. I... Peter Gabriel. Do I mean, do we want to talk about Peter Gabriel? It's, oh, wow. You know, yeah. Simply amazing guys. Amazing mm-hmm. artists. 
And also, I see that you even recorded a song at Abbey Abbey. Yeah, Abbey, Abbey Road, Abbey Road Abbey Studios. Road Studio. You know, there is a yeah. You know, there is this thing about the Beatles crossing the zebra, and uh -huh. that's the studio where they were going into the Abbey Road. And so it's like an institution, Abbey Road Studios. And so we were homeless at that time, <laughs> Lucia. So it was. My friend and soul brother, the keyboard player, we were homeless. We didn't know where to go to sleep at night, but we had this money. And because we had to pay for the deposit for a new flat, right? But we used this money to go and record. <laughs> so, so yeah, we were, we were in Piccadilly at night and saying, oh, cold, and what do we do? What do we do? We're kind of depressed and say, well, listen, we got this money. Let's do something that we love. And so we went in Abbey Road and we recorded a song. It was and, incredible. And oh, this yeah. is awesome. Absolutely. You know, when, when we just uh, get, uh, got in, we saw all these uh, uh, platinum discs or uh, golden discs like, you know, Tina Turner, and Duran Duran, Pink Floyd. And we were there <laughs> like, oh, what have we done? Are we sure we are doing this? It was incredible. It was incredible. The Pink Floyd recorded before we did. They were there before us. So it was like, wow. Truly and amazing then, experience. And then where did you sleep? <laughs> we were sleeping everywhere from a bus or a station or because we were working. I was working. I had three jobs a day. And so in the morning, I used to clean up, uh, you know, the Piccadilly Theater. I was a cleaner. So I would start at 17, 12. So one day, I remember one night, actually, I slept inside the, the room of an artist. So I got in, I sneaked in. So if somebody from the Piccadilly Theater is now listening to me, perhaps <laughs> that would come as a shock. But, I, you know, I didn't touch anything. I just went on the sofa. There was a little sofa in there and I slept in there. Or in the, I was working as a, a chambermaid. I used to in a hotel and so uh, one day i went into the deposit of all the dirty <laughs> linen they put it all into the into the yellow sacks and so all this bag of of dirty linen <laughs> was pretty much more comfortable than you know going outside and sleep in the cold and so many many places we 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 slept uh, almost everywhere wow when we are young we do things that uh... Afterwards, oh, yeah. live. Wow. Yeah. Do you know you gave up being a musician? I believe that was not a very easy decision. No, yeah. no, no. That was no. totally difficult. And I actually that that was a trauma because all I lived for, for was for, for the music and then our songs and everything was just about music, only music, music. And so when I saw that all I was doing for like two years in a row was just working as mad and surviving and I couldn't play a gig, uh, you know, a live gig at all. And once I was asked by a very important manager, uh, music manager to, you know, he was interested in our music, but he wanted to see us live. And at the time I sold my amplifier to, uh, to go and do, you know, buy food. And, and so we were really, really struggling. So after two years of that, I said, listen, this is 
this is an illusion it's not a dream it's becoming a you know a nightmare so maybe it doesn't have to go that way so i left london i went back to to italy but for years i couldn't touch the guitar i was still you know sh shocked and very very traumatized let's put it that way and have you ever regretted your decision no no at that point you know at that moment i i felt like i did what i could and uh, it didn't work out and now it's easy because in hindsight everything you know you find reason to justify what happened but the reality is that i lived a very intense life and i did what i wanted to do the fact that i didn't succeed as a musician it, it was not the point i think the point is i really wanted to live fully all the, the the things that i felt like i wanted to do so mm -hmm. no no regrets really and then do you know you worked in the corporate world for 30 years but then decide to become a life coach what made you switch career paths because I think there is so much need inside the career, the, inside the professional environment, corporations, for a greater space for humanity. I think we kind of lost the plot. And all we are doing as a society is, you know, working for the sake of being productive. So productivity became an end in itself. So we kind of lost the plot. So why are we working so hard day and night, every day, 10, 12 hours a day, maybe even in the, in the weekends? And so we just leave to work. And I think it is even more important that now coaches get into the corporate environments because leaders are, are humans. Employees are people. And people is never going to be inspired by financial goals. You know, you cannot, <laughs> when, when corporation, you know, give you these financial goals and say, oh, you know, guys, you've done an amazing job. And, but next quarter, we have this, it's even more challenging. And then the next quarter is the same thing. You hear the same, now the next uh, quarter is even, it's all about financial goals. So how, how can this be inspired? So, being a coach is really a way to give a space to people to think, to reflect, and also find out that really they are more than what they do. We are more than what we do. And so the moment we are able to see ourselves as we are, then even our job gets better because we don't feel completely identified with what we do. But we do the things that we do the way we are. So it is so important that corporations embrace this, this path. I think in the future, I cannot see leaders not having coaching competencies because coaching means listening. Coaching means giving time to people to reflect, to investigate, to self-inquire. And so once, once this is done, you stop identifying with what you do. So the quality of what you do becomes even better. And because you don't feel so trapped into your role, 
and responsibilities. You are a full and complete human being at the service of other human beings. Now, and that it's inspiring, not financial goals. The first thing I see is the fact when you talk to someone, when you you listen to yourself, you are talking to a professional, but you are also listening to what you are saying. And this is important because sometimes it's everything inside our head. Yeah. And we believe that that is the correct way to think or the correct thing. But when you externalize your feelings, your goals, and tell it to other people, I believe that you, this is so important to listen to yourself. Yes, absolutely fundamental. And one of the job that, and one of the things that I do as a coach, and I think it's, you know, every coach does, is giving back what you just heard without interpreting, but because you want to make sure that what you just said, Lucia, that you're listening to what you're saying is actually taken also from an external side because, you know, this is what I heard. This is what you said. Is that correct? Is that what you meant? What did you mean? And so you actually help the client, the person, see really what they mean and and if and at most of the times lucia most of the times you think you have a goal and you find out that you actually don't have that goal you have another goal most of the time you change your goal as you talk about it and you you understand more about it and then you actually go deeper and find out that your real goal is something different yeah. so that's such a powerful exercise to do listening to ourselves Yes, totally. And, you know, as a life coach, what can people expect from your coaching services? As a life coach, I'm, what, what can they expect? They, they, they need to be clear what the goal is first. And what they can expect from me is total, absolute attention and presence. Because I'm here to support people with their goals so the clearer that it's the goal that they think that they have to begin with the better because i'm here to listen and to challenge at times because clearly i'm going to ask for permission but whoever wants to go through this process is actually not happy with the way things are going and so it means that something needs to be changed which is the opening to a new perspective so if people are, are serious about this they need to be open and if they are open then i'm going to challenge and and so their belief system for example they may actually see for themselves what is it that is keeping them trapped to not achieving that particular goal that that's such a critical uh, part of it so they they can expect a lot of presence from my side a lot of trust and and so I'll be there completely, totally for them to achieve their goals. And then, not satisfied, you decided to write a book. <laughs> so your book is called The Way of the Wind. Can you quickly tell us what this book is about? 
Sure. It's, uh, it's about a manager around 50 that he, he finds himself trapped in this productivity vortex, kind of lost, you know, motivation and he has no more vision. He's just working for the sake of working and, he's, and he thinks there must be something else in life. You know, it cannot be just this. And so he started to question the, the life that he was living. And so he started to devise an exit plan from, from the corporation. However, the corporation fires him before he could actually have all it done, you know, with financial reserves taken aside and everything. So the, the, this guy is basically taken by surprise. You know, he goes into a trip of a lifetime. He goes back to, he goes back. He goes to the, across the Indian Reservation of America which is the place where his mother comes from in the hope of reconnecting with the spirit of, you know, of the ancestor that when he was a boy, you know, it speak to him. And so in trying to find a new vision, new motivation, he actually finds out that there is a lot more than vision and motivation. But then I will leave the reader to find out what, what it is I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Your main character's name is Ostro, is that correct? It is correct. Ostro, which is also the name of the wind that blows from the south. And so it's also the name of the character. And in fact, he goes into the Indian reservation, starting from Arizona and going up. So from south, it goes up north and it goes to Utah, then Wyoming and then South Dakota. And so he goes from the Navajo uh, land and goes to the Sioux land, you know, the Lakota. It looks like Ostro was inspired by your own story, Dino. <laughs> Do you mind sharing a little bit of your journey yeah, with us? Yeah, yes, this is a novel, but in reality, it's, uh, it's pretty much based on my own story with a few elements of fantasy, clearly, because it's a fiction, but not that much. I've always been a, a free spirit, so so I'm told. <laughs> and so, you know, the, this uh, parallel between the wind and us people being free spirit deep down, because we all want to express what we have inside, is what kind, it kind of inspired me to write, you know, to give a name to the main character, which is the name of wind. And although my mother is not Native American, it is my grandfather that was breastfed by uh, a Native American. And my grandfather was born in Brazil. I've heard about this story from my mother when she heard uh, a song that I recorded. And that, w- that was in English. And I was about 20 years old, 22, maybe. And, and so she asked me, uh, what's, what's, what are you talking about? I like the music. And uh, and I explained to her that, you know, I saw a vision uh, with a uh, an Indian that was running on a red road in front of the sun. And then she said, oh, uh, you know, do you know that your grandfather was breastfed by uh, a Native American? So that was kind of caught me by surprise. And uh, so I felt like, you know, this, the spirit of our ancestor was speaking through me because I didn't know much about Indians. And all this vision about the red road, red road is actually, you know, the spiritual path that the Indian follow. And the sun is, the, you know, it's very important there with some ritual. And so all these things got me really intrigued and I wanted to dig and find out more about it. So, so there, yeah, there is a lot about my 
my true story in there. <laughs> also, uh, Dino, your book shows messages like rediscovery, reconnection, connection. And as you say, everything is connected. So do you believe in coincidence? Now, it's not such a thing as a belief. Uh, but I, I, I think we kind of ends up finding a, a meaning for whatever happens to us. And whatever is meaningful to us, we, we end up thinking there is a synchronicity happening there because, you know, things happening. Why did things happen in that way at that point, uh, point in time? Why did I meet that person? Thing is, we all have a path that we need to, to walk on. And this synchronicity at just moment that for us triggered that path to go to life. So the moment something happens to us in our lives and, and it makes so much sense to us, it's because it's, it's touching that path. It is already embedded within. We don't know it consciously where we're going to go because it's all in an unknown. We are going you know, we're walking the unknown. We don't know what happened in, in 10 minutes time. How can we know what happened in three years or 10 years? We don't know. So trusting the unknown is the best way to make this synchronicity, this movement of the universe to unfold through you in a very natural way to be in the flow. So this is really what it means to me. And more than believing, I am experiencing it. And I think people experience it. They, they see that certain things are happening and, and they're more meaningful to them because it's already in there. Otherwise, it would not be meaningful to them. I believe that your book can bring this message that you can. You can. If you want, you can. It was my impression, you know, Dino. Yes. I think so. I think so, Lucia. This is this is really the message. It's a message of of trust, because when we when we find it too difficult, it's because we are trapped in some kind of conditioning that it becomes our reality and it becomes our belief. So that that's why it's difficult because we believe we're going to be judged and we believe that if we are judged, it means that we are really a bad person or we're really not irresponsible, immature or whatever it is, unreliable, whatever it is. So because of all this conditioning that we have inside, we think it's impossible. We think it's difficult. The reality is it is not. It's perhaps it's the easiest thing to do. And because it is so easy, that scares the hell out of us because can I really change every single thing every minute? Yes, I can. And so that could be very destabilizing, right? So we want to, we want to feel stable. And so it's a, it's a swing between wanting to be stable, but also wanting to explore our full potential. And uh, I hope that, uh, yeah, this, this book can inspire people to find out more about themselves and, the, and their full potential. I'm sure, you know, I have no doubt. <laughs> and... Is there a message you would like to leave for our listeners today? Just just enjoy life the way the, the way life presents. Just be free to be who you are. You know that you have some conditioning that is playing 
against you, behind your back. So being aware that this is what is keeping us trapped is already a great way to free yourself. So that's that's the message. Be aware. Thank you. Thank you very much. And do you know where can our listeners find you and, of course, your book? Okay. So my book is, uh, as you said, The Way of the Wind, and it is available online. So uh, Amazon, almost every region has it, so it's available there. Uh, there is the Italian version too, La Via del Vento, and it's available on the libraries because the Italian version has been published by a traditional publisher. Uh, but also online, and they can find me on my website, so www.dinocarella.com or on LinkedIn, mostly on LinkedIn, uh, my LinkedIn profile, although I have Facebook and Instagram, I don't use those too much, mm -hmm. but this is where they can find me. Wonderful. So, Dino, I just want to tell you thank you so much. for oh, Thank you. Yes, for your time, for being here. And I believe our listeners will, will be checking your work, your book, because it's a life-changing book. It's my, my impression, you know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. So I couldn't wish for more. Thank you so much for having me and for your kind support, uh, Lucia. Thank you so much. Of course. Also, you'll be featured on our magazines, Brand Education, WorldAuthors.org, and on the Relatable Voice magazine. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.